So this morning, John chapter 7, beginning in verse 25. So it may be helpful for us to kind of get our bearings here, figure out where we are in the book of John, what's going on. Um, One thing to know is that we are continuing in John chapter 7 where John 7 begins by saying, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go down in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. But then we see he does go down and he is at the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. So Jesus, if you can picture it, Jesus is at the temple. Lots and lots of people at the temple because they're there for the feast. And there's all these questions that are arising about Jesus. And the big question is a question of whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, is Jesus the Messiah? So this chapter, it kind of reads maybe a little bit disjointed, you know, like you keep jumping around in these, these weird questions and answers. But maybe one thing to keep in mind is that Jesus is in the middle of lots of people. And what we're hearing, if it, it's kind of like picture yourself standing next to Jesus and you're overhearing different conversations around you, Okay. So it's not like one group is throwing out all these ideas. Some group people are saying one thing, some are saying another thing. And Jesus is kind of throwing things out into the crowd as the story goes, okay? So here we go. Chapter 7, Jesus' brothers, you know, we had a conversation with them. And then we have a conversation with the crowd and, and the leaders. And then we get to 25, and here's where we go. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said... Is not this the man whom they seek to kill, they being the religious leaders? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And what what does Christ mean? Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, okay, Messiah. So that's really important um, because... The Jews were expecting this Messiah, and we want to, every time we hear Christ, we should think Messiah, okay? So this is, can they really know that this is the Messiah? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So who's Jesus talking about here? Louder, I can't hear. God, he's talking about God the Father, right? Anything in there sound a little bit striking that Jesus just told a whole bunch of Jews? Maybe offensive? You don't know him. We're going to come back to that. You don't know this God that I'm talking about. Wow. Um, So 29, no, 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. What's, what's his hour that we're talking about? We keep hearing this in John. Right. His hour is when he's going to go to the cross and die. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said when the Christ appears or the Messiah appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees, those are religious leaders, sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. 
Where's Jesus talking about? Since we, we know the whole story. He's going, he's going to go to heaven, right? One day he's going to ascend into heaven. But the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go? Um, to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? So here's the question. The dispersion is this idea that the Jews who lived outside of Israel were called the dispersion. Okay, They're still Jews, but they live out in the land, not in Israel. So they're saying, is he going to go out to those Jews? Okay, You will seek me, you will not find me. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that might sound a little bit confusing, but what is he talking about here? Why does he say the Spirit was not yet given? When did the Spirit get given to people? You guys remember? Pentecost. Yeah, Pentecost, that's right. So after Jesus dies, after Jesus rises again, this is when the Holy Spirit starts being sent out to the people, right? So John is kind of making it clear here. The Spirit is going to be this river of water in you, but the Spirit hasn't come yet in the story. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ or the Messiah. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now, real quick, where's Jesus from? Where did he get born? He is from Bethlehem, right? So it's just showing that the crowds have these different notions. They don't really know everything about Jesus. All they know is here's a guy from Galilee, which is up in the north. Bethlehem is down in Judea. So they're trying to think of could this really be the Messiah? And they don't even know the full story. So then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said to them, uh, and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Because remember, they were supposed to arrest Jesus. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So... We're going to make sense of this passage in, in three quick points, okay? So the first point is that Jesus is intimately connected to God. So when I read this passage, it feels disjointed. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to think, what are the people saying, you know, what, that reveals about their hearts, and what is Jesus saying in response to them, okay? So we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit, and we're going to look first at what some of the things that Jesus says, and then we're going to look at some of the things that people said, and then we're going to look at something Jesus says, okay? So first of all, Jesus says a number of things 
that keeps pointing back to the fact that he is intimately connected to God. He really wants this to be clear among the people, okay? So look at verse 28. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, question mark. It could be a question, it could be a statement, right? Uh, Jesus could be saying, do you really know where I come from? You think I come from Nazareth, but do you really know where I come from? Or he could be saying, yeah, you know I come from Nazareth, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. So Jesus is saying that he uh, has been sent. He's sent by God. And then if we fast forward to verse 29, he says, I know him, the one who sent me, for I come from him, and he sent me. So Jesus, in the midst of these questions of, could this be the Messiah? If he's the Messiah, why aren't they arresting him? Do they think he's the Messiah? Jesus says, one thing you guys really need to know is this. I came from heaven. I came from heaven. And in verse 33 and 34, he goes on to say, and I am going back to him who sent me. So I came from heaven. I am going to heaven. And where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus wants to make it crystal clear that he came from heaven, he's going to heaven, and he is sent by God. Okay, is that clear? All right, so I think one of the truths that that Jesus is starting to try to get across is that if you want to know God, you have to know God through Jesus. Okay, it doesn't work to say that we know God without knowing Jesus. Over and over in this gospel, Jesus makes plain that if you reject him as God's son, his Messiah, and the supreme treasure of your life, this is what John Piper says, you don't know God or honor God or love God or have God as your father, no matter what your religion and no matter what you say your relationship with God is. And that's really helpful for us to think about as we think about the world we live in, because that is a really unpopular idea. In our world where we say there's many paths to God... There's lots of ways to know God. Who are you to say that, that you're, you're Muslim or you're Buddhist or um, Hindi neighbor or friend at school doesn't know God? Right? We live in a world that says, how pretentious is that, that you would say you know God, but other people don't know God? You think you're better than other people? But if we listen to Jesus' own words, Jesus is telling us, you don't know God because you don't know me. You don't accept me. If you don't accept me, then you don't accept God. There's one way to know God, and it's through Jesus Christ. So as you guys live in a pluralistic society, as you guys live in a a neighborhood where your schools have people from all these different religions, you have people that you know who claim to know God in different ways and claim to worship him in different ways, you can be confident that they know God or don't know God based on how they answer the question, well, what do you think about Jesus? Tell me what role Jesus plays in your faith. And if Jesus has no role in their faith, or if Jesus is just a prophet, just a man, just someone who is a good teacher, then you should go to John and say, well, according to Jesus... You don't know God. Because even the Jews, even God's chosen people, who he revealed himself to and he gave his law to them and and he brought them out of Egypt through the 
parting of the Red Sea and he gave them the tabernacle and he gave them the temple and he gave them kings to lead them and guide them and teach them about God. Even these Jews who had all this revelation about who God was, Jesus can say to them, you don't know God. You don't know God because you don't believe in me. So to know God, we have to go through Jesus. So Jesus makes it very clear that he is intimately connected with God. That's the first thing that he wants us to know. The second thing he wants us to know is that the people don't have God. I've already said that, but let's look at some of these verses. Point number two is just that the people don't have God. So verse 28, him who sent me is true and him you do not know. Like I already said, this is really shocking. It's shocking that the Jewish people can be said not to know God. Here he's, where is Jesus saying this, first of all? He's saying it in front of God's temple. The temple that they, their ancestors have built for the worship of God. He's saying this in front of the leaders who have spent their lives memorizing and learning God's laws. And he says, you don't know God. And the reason he says it is because they don't believe in him. Okay, you have to come through him. Well, we see the people saying a number of things that kind of help us to see where their heart is at. Okay, and John Piper is helpful that he gives us two categories in order to think of people. There's those who believe and there's those who don't believe. Okay, that's a real clear cut line that we can draw. Um, You should ask yourself, where am I? Am I on the side of those who believe or am I on the side of those who don't believe? And when we see people not believing in Jesus, we should ask the question, why? What is it about Jesus that they just can't grasp, that they just can't accept? What form of unbelief is it that they're struggling with? And then we should say, do I see that unbelief in my own heart? Do I see that getting kicked up in myself as I look at Jesus and as I wrestle with who he is? So let's look at some of the things that are being said in this chapter and ask the question, what types of unbelief um, are showing up here? Okay, so first of all, Go back to the beginning and hear the people say, verse 27, we know where this man comes from and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So here's just like this kind of, we we don't find this anywhere in the Old Testament. This isn't in the Bible. This isn't a popular like Jewish law belief. This is something that gets spread by rumors. It's one of these popular ideas about the Messiah. Okay, kind of like there's like popular ideas about what's going to happen when Jesus returns in Christianity. Okay, you might hear various things of like, here's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But if you look in your Bible, they're not actually there. All right. Um, Like there's one theory that the way that Jesus, you know, it says that everybody's going to see Jesus when he comes. And there was someone in history who said after the TV was invented that, oh, now I know how that's going to work. We have televisions, so they're obviously going to be like on the news when Jesus comes back and everyone's going to be able to see Jesus on the TV. Wouldn't that be interesting? I think it's going to be a little bit more glorious than that, you know? Um, Shining light. Yeah. Sparkly man comes from clouds. Trumpets heard everywhere. Um, Yeah. On the news. What, What if you weren't watching the news that night? Okay. Um, But anyways, there's these popular beliefs in in Judaism, and one of them is when the Messiah comes, he's going to kind of come out of nowhere. 
He's going to be this great leader, and we're not going to know where he came from. So they're using that to say, but we know Jesus. We know him. Like, my kids went to school with him. He grew up in Nazareth. We know him. This is a form of unbelief. We see it again later on when they say, yeah, but Jesus is from Nazareth. Isn't he supposed to be from Bethlehem? You know, we, we know this guy. We know his background, even though it's kind of ironic because they don't. They don't know that he really is from Bethlehem. So what I would call this is unbelief due to familiarity. Okay? We don't believe in Jesus because he's just too familiar to us. And I think that that is something that we are really in danger of, especially if we've grown up in the church. Okay? There are so many people that you meet later on in life, that I've met later on in life, who say, yeah, yeah, don't talk to me about Jesus. I was raised in the church. I know all about Jesus. Don't tell me how I need Jesus. I know that. I, got, I, I went through confirmation in my Catholic school. I got, you know, I have my credentials. I sat under this priest. I did this or that. Don't tell me about Jesus. I already know about Jesus. Or you'll hear people who say things like, well, I was baptized when I was an infant, you know, and I'm, I'm good. Please don't, don't, don't try to give your religion to me. Or my, my dad was a Lutheran pastor, so you don't really need to talk to me about Jesus. These are things that you're going to encounter. And what happens is people are so familiar with the story of Jesus that they think, yeah, I'm good there. I don't really need any more life transformation talk about Jesus. Or you can have people who say things like this. You know, Jesus was a really great man. He's a great prophet. Did a lot of great things. Helped a lot of people. But please, none of the wacky nonsense about him being the son of God and doing miracles. That's trying to make Jesus way too familiar. Trying to say, Jesus is just like one of us. He's just like, he's like you. He's like me. Like Gandhi. He's like, you know, did, did someone who did a lot of good for the world. Don't try to make him God because he's not. And when we do that, John is showing us that's unbelief. That's choosing to not believe in who Jesus really was and who he came to teach us he was and, and lead us into relationship with God. So that's one form of unbelief. The second form of unbelief that I think we see here is from the Pharisees. Let's read what the Pharisees say again in verse 45. It says, well, first of all, um, yeah, so the officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then Nicodemus says what he says, and then they they say, are you from Galilee? See that no prophet comes from Galilee. So when I hear that, I hear another form of unbelief that's really dangerous, and it's one that is often quoted by people um, and one to be very aware of, especially as you guys go on to college um, and you are sitting under professors and people that are very learned and smart and have a lot of degrees after their name. And this is what I would call the unbelief of knowledge or strength in numbers or authority or superiority. I'm going to talk about all of those, okay? So first of all, um, there is the argument that people will use that goes like this. People much smarter than me think this way, therefore I'm going to think this way, okay? Have you guys ever heard that argument? Like this is really, there's like, I understand this is a tough topic, is Jesus God? You know, can he save me from my sins? So-and-so has four PhDs from Harvard and Cambridge and all these places, and he doesn't believe in Jesus, 
So I think he probably knows what he's talking about, so I'm not going to believe in Jesus. That's essentially what the Pharisees are trying to get the people to think. The Pharisees said, have any of all the really smart leaders believed in Jesus? No! So, you're an idiot if you believe in Jesus. We have to be really careful of hearing arguments like that. Um, There's also the argument of strength in numbers. You don't want to be the one who's going against the grain, going against the crowd, do you? Have any of the leaders believed in Jesus? Are you going to be the only one who says, I believe in Jesus when nobody else does? It's another form of unbelief. It's another way that keeps us from believing in Jesus. Or how about authority? All the people in charge don't believe in Jesus. You really want to go against the grain of everybody who's in charge? All the religious leaders? Or superiority is the last one. Do you hear what they say about the crowds? They say, uh, have you also been deceived? This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They basically say, all these silly peasants who are following and believing in Jesus, they're all dumb. They're all under God's curse. They don't really know the law. We're the ones who know it. We're better than them. You should go with us. We're better than them. And so you're also going to hear an argument from superiority. People saying, if you want to be with those who are the best, you're not going to follow Jesus. So all of these are forms of unbelief that we have to be careful of. um, And we have to fight against and we have to uh, not let them keep us from believing in Jesus. So the last part, the most important part of our passage is verse... uh, 37, verses 37 to 39, okay? You'll notice that the Pharisees had sent officers to go arrest Jesus, and then at the end of the passage, the officers who apparently were with Jesus but didn't arrest him come back without him, and they say, why didn't you arrest Jesus? And they say, no one ever spoke like this man does. And in between those is what Jesus says in verses 37 to 39. So I think we're supposed to understand that what Jesus says in verses 37 to 39 so struck the officers who were sent to arrest him that they couldn't even bring themselves to take him into custody. That and the fact that it wasn't Jesus' time yet and God wasn't allowing him to be arrested. Okay, So Jesus has this intimate connection with God. That's what we've got in our first point. He's trying to say, I'm intimately connected to God. Jesus keeps making the point that you don't have God. And in what Jesus says in verses 37 to 39, he's actually bringing those two together. I'm intimately connected to God. You don't have God. So let's listen to 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we're going to work our way through this. So first of all, whoever thirsts, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So you'll notice that Jesus is offering a gift to anybody who would come and receive it. There's no conditions given for who can have this gift. The only condition is that you recognize that you have a thirsty soul. Now we know he's talking about a thirsty soul here. He's not talking about actual water. 
but he's making an analogy here because just like our bodies need water and without water we die, our souls need God. And without God, we die. And so Jesus is saying, if your soul is thirsty, come to me and I will quench your thirst. And it's an invitation that he gives to everybody. Anybody can come to him. Anybody can come and drink. And when they come to drink, what is it that they're supposed to drink? Jesus. You come to me and drink. Come and drink me up. Now, when Jesus says this, he is not just throwing out this weird idea. He is fulfilling all sorts of scripture all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, it is talked about how God is going to provide living water for us, for his people. He's going to give them water, and he's going to invite them and to come and to drink this wonderful water that will ultimately satisfy them. One of those places we see is Isaiah 55.1. Jesus, or God writes through Isaiah, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So God offers this awesome invitation to all people to come and get free water and to be satisfied. And Jesus knows his Old Testament, and there's a lot of other places where it talks about water. And so what Jesus is saying here as he gets up and he says something that the officers are saying, no one ever spoke like this before. What he's saying is, you know that water that God's been promising you? I'm where you get it. Come to me and you will have the water that Isaiah told you about. Right? That is shocking. That's breathtaking. That some, a man would stand before you and say, I am the water that God has promised you. We need to drink Jesus. Jesus is what our souls need. Another way of saying that is what John Piper says, our souls were made for Jesus. The ache in our hearts is at root an ache for Jesus. So Jesus, remember, he's pointed out, you people, you need God. I am intimately connected to God. In other words, you are thirsty people. You think you know God, but you don't. You have an incredible thirst for God, and you're not getting it satisfied. Come to me, and I will be the one to satisfy it. So how do we drink in Jesus? Well, all throughout this book, he's talking about believing in him. So John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you drink Jesus by believing in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you get a drink that will ultimately satisfy this longing that you have for God. So when we drink in Jesus, Jesus then says, um, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I know that I can see some drooping eyelids and whatnot, and that's totally fine. Um, but if you were to get one thing from this passage, I just want you guys to get this image, okay? Get this image. This is a really important image. Jesus is saying, I am not a cup of cold water on a hot day, okay? I am not just a cup of cold water on a hot day. I am a well, an unending well of the coldest, freshest, most satisfying water that you could ever want. I am a spring. I am a fountain. I am that thing in the earth where water is continually bubbling out, always good, always cold, always fresh, 
always reviving your soul. And if you come to Jesus and believe in him, you don't get a cup of water, you get a spring of water. You get a river of water inside you. It literally means here, whoever believes in me, out of his stomach, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So what that means is when you get Jesus, you get him forever. You get that soul-satisfying relationship with God that you were made for, and you get it welling up inside of you forever. And John makes clear to us, how do you get that? Well, you get that because Jesus puts the Holy Spirit in you. And I know the Trinity can be confusing to us, so it's really helpful for me when I remember that the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. So Jesus, while Jesus is in heaven right now, his spirit, Jesus' spirit, is what's inside you as a Christian. That is the river of living water that he puts inside you. And this is incredibly encouraging as Christians because it means that when we come to Jesus and we become a Christian, that isn't the end of the story. It's not like we have this really big climactic moment in our life when we're 6 or 10 or 16 or 60 when we first accept Christ, but that that is just the beginning and that Jesus is planting inside of us a river of water that will continue to satisfy that longing that we have to have a relationship with God. Does that make sense? And I guess I would wonder, can you say, have you, have you experienced that? Have you experienced the fact that you, not just that you have this one time you remember going to Jesus and being saved, but that you can put in your life time after time after time that I came to Jesus, I was thirsty, I needed the Lord's help, and he satisfied me, and he satisfied me, and he satisfied me, and he satisfied me. Because that's what the experience of a Christian ought to be. Our experience is not meant to be desert thirst, great drink, followed by desert thirst. Man, just remembering that one drink I had. It is a life filled with being satisfied by Jesus' spirit in us. So here's the uh, last thing I'm going to say from John Piper. The really wonderful implication for us that God spoke of this reality hundreds of years ago before it happened is that it means that God was planning this for you. So the fact that Isaiah talked about waters that would satisfy you, it tells us God's been planning this from all of time. God was planning to send his son. He created you to have an unquenchable soul thirst that could draw you to him. He planned for Jesus to stand in Jerusalem and for me to stand in this pulpit and cry out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, come to Jesus, and drink. This is God's invitation to you, not just mine, not just Jesus's, but God's. Come and drink and live. So I pray that we would do that. I hope that for those of you who are thinking, man, I don't know if I've done that. I feel thirsty. Come today. Come to Jesus. Drink. Put your faith in him. Believe in him and have life. And for those of you who have done that, remember, this is an unending spring inside you. When was the last time you took a drink of that spring? I hope it wasn't when you accepted him. Are you continually going back to that spring, going back to Jesus' words, going back to him in prayer, believing in him and drinking from that spring and being satisfied? Let's pray that you do. Our Heavenly Father, thanks for this time together. Thanks for your word. We pray that you would allow us to be people who continue to go back to you and drink from the spring and are satisfied.
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.